This is Refocused with Lindsay Gensel, and I'm your host, Lindsay Gensel. I'm still not used to saying my name so often during all of this. I, I promise I am working on it. Uh, well, let's try this. This is Refocused. I'm Lindsay Gensel, and it is a podcast about ADHD. so much for joining us for another episode. If you haven't yet, I highly recommend going back and listening to the episode that came before this. We mapped out a really intense plan to dive into topics to set this base about ADHD. And there are so many great conversations that we've had already and we will continue to have. And I'll explain a little bit of why there was this little shake up in the plan here in just a little bit. But I just wanted to thank all of you for the reviews that you have left so far and for the kind notes and the emails. And again, you can email me directly at podcast at ADHDonline.com. That's if you want to leave a note, if you want to share your own story. That is the direct line to me. And of course, you can find me on social media at Lindsay Gensel. last 15 years, I've been working as a journalist. And like many of us who are diagnosed with ADHD later in life, a lot of my career choices were motivated or affected by my ADHD. And obviously, all of that came without me knowing about it. I got my first job in journalism when I was 21. I was writing for my college newspaper, except I was also failing out of that college and had somehow successfully hidden that very big secret from everyone in my life. And that is a much bigger story to tell, but it gets me started on why my career has been so all over the place. Since then, I've worked as a sideline reporter for Fox Sports, a radio news reporter for CBS, a producer and director for public radio, a talk show producer. I was a sideline reporter for a pro soccer team. I produced cooking segments for TV, many of them even in my own kitchen throughout the pandemic. And then I even had a brief stint as the co-host of an afternoon drive show on this very strange music sports hybrid station that broadcast Twins game during the baseball season. It was a lot. And most of them I've enjoyed, but I've always struggled settling in. And mostly that's because of routine or lack thereof. And ADHD, the delay in executive function skills, I mean, it all comes back around but there's also this massive part of me that struggles in social settings and a lot of that insecurity and overthinking and hyperfocus has been a big part of what has held me back in my career. I've also struggled committing to my own goals, my own dreams, and I've spent my entire career building other people's dreams and I've pushed myself to the back burner and right now I'm working on reconfiguring my life to make this podcast my priority and it's hard. It's harder than I expected it to be. And it's so frustrating because this is what I want to be doing. It's what I'm passionate about. It's what I've been working for. And it's right here. It's literally right here. Like you're listening to me on my podcast and I can't get out of my own way. And I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed and I'm disappointed. And 
It feels like everything I try, I'm able to hyper-focus for long enough to make me think things have changed, and then that spell wears off, and I'm right where I am right now. And the thing I keep telling myself is I'm not alone. I know there are other people who have ADHD who struggle with this exact same thing. And even though it's great to know there are other people out there who are dealing with this same line of frustration, it doesn't help me get past it. Refocused is a collaboration with ADHD Online, a telemedicine healthcare company that specializes in ADHD assessments, treatment options, and teletherapy. And last week, I actually flew out to Grand Rapids, Michigan to work in person with them for the first time. And I'll be honest, at the airport, I I was a little nervous. I called my mom. I'm 36 years old and I called my mom from the airport. And I just had this fear that everything that's happened in the past was going to happen again. That it didn't matter that I have a better understanding of how my brain works and how my emotions work and why certain things trigger certain emotions out of me. None of that mattered because in that moment, all I could think about was, what if my insecurities hold me back again? What if I'm not able to connect with them in person like I'd been able to through our virtual meetings the last few months? And what if they met me and were disappointed? Like, what if I wasn't what they thought I would be? Except that didn't happen. The trip was everything I wanted to be and more, in fact, And it really made me feel so great about this partnership and so excited about the potential. And just every person I met, they were just awesome and welcoming and kind and thoughtful and energized about changing how people receive care for ADHD and I can't wait to share more about the trip, but today's episode, it's actually one of the highlights for me. This is technically episode eight. If you were to line up all of the episodes, starting at the first one I put out to this one, it's episode eight, except it's not really episode eight because we set a plan of what the first eight episodes were going to look like. And we'll come back to episode eight, which will look at what to do once you have your diagnosis. I'm deviating from the plan because it feels right. I came back from Michigan so inspired and motivated and excited about getting right back to work on this podcast, except I got home and was bombarded by all of the things I had been putting off. And then the long holiday weekend came and you take all of that and combine it with another really heavy news week and I'm exhausted. I'm emotionally and physically overwhelmed. And the unfortunate thing is I'm very, very confident that I'm not alone in that. So as I said, I'm deviating from the plan because this conversation in the moment while I was in Michigan was such a cup filler for me. You know, one of those moments where you just immediately feel really good. Like I could not wait to get this out so you could listen to it. And as I've listened back to it, it still gave me those feelings. And that's credit to the woman I was chatting with. Andrea Wallace, everyone knows her as Dre, is someone I was introduced to in Michigan. And as you'll hear, her energy is straight up vivacious. What I love about our conversation is it's just that. 
We fell into this amazing rhythm and Dre so kindly just laid her story out there. And I think right now her candor and positivity and carefree energy is what we all need to be surrounding ourselves with. I am so excited to bring Dre's story to Refocus with Lindsay Gensel. She is a tech founder and CEO, a beverage entrepreneur, an incredibly talented musician and DJ, and that's all in addition to having a day job. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the time you get to spend with Andrea Wallace. My name is Andrea Wallace, but everyone calls me Dre. I grew up here in Michigan. Um, I'm a Lakeshore kid, so I grew up in a really small town, just kind of like right outside of South Haven, Michigan, right on Lake Michigan. That's where I was born and raised, and I didn't really start to migrate to other areas until college. So, And remind me again what age you were diagnosed with ADHD. I was diagnosed around 25, 26 something like that. Yeah. All right. So like 10 years before I was diagnosed and we know with ADHD symptoms have to present themselves before the age of 12. It used to be seven and then doctors were like, yeah, no, that's, that doesn't really work. And I think it actually makes total sense when you think back to that transition from elementary to middle school is really when the responsibility sets in. So I'm hoping you could start by telling us a little bit about what you were like as a kid or like what you thought you were like as a kid. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was not a, what I, I, and I'm pretty sure my parents would say this too, but like you might need to interview them also. Um, But I was not like what I would call like a hyperactive kid or anything like that. If anything, it was the opposite. Like I was extremely focused. Like when I found something that I liked, like basically no one and no thing existed until like I conquered that thing. (laughs) So I think like I probably wouldn't have, I definitely never thought that I had it. And I know my parents certainly wouldn't have thought it because I remember growing up was like kind of like around that time, you know, like late nineties, like early two thousands and like I would say even mid nineties, like early two thousands. That was when like so many kids like were starting to be like on Ritalin and stuff. And I remember, I distinctly remember a conversation in the car with my mom and she was just like, I can't believe all these kids like are on like all of these drugs. She's like, I just wonder if it's necessary, you know? So like that starts the, it starts the wheel of thinking like, oh yeah, like maybe it's not real, you know, or maybe it just looks really different in different people, but yeah. I have these vivid memories now looking back of elementary school and like it was very apparent which kid in class had ADHD. And I'll just say like which boy had ADHD because, you know, I was born in 86. So like elementary school was like 91 to 95. Mm -hmm. And it was the same boys in every class that were getting taken out into the hallway. And I went, I grew up in a small town too. And there was like one aide per class, you know. So even if I needed help, I don't think that what I presented would have ever triggered someone to be like, hey, let's let's get Lindsay some added attention. Yeah. Yeah. And like, honestly, like I was a star student, like I was getting straight A's all the time. So why would anyone think anything was off? Like I seemed like <laughs> like the model kid kind of. So why would you change anything about that? Like, And how did high school go for you? Honestly, high school was basically the same. Like it really I didn't actually notice that maybe 
Like I was, and it took me, I think kind of being overloaded with stuff. And then finally I was like, maybe something's not quite like all the way right. <laughs> um, Cause through high school, same thing. Like I got amazing grades. Like I was like number three in my class. Like, so it wasn't, it, you wouldn't have known. Like there was no real signals for anything until as an adult, like when I started to take on more things, like, that's like when I was like, okay, well, this is <laughs> having a hard time keeping stuff organized. And then like when, once I would get it organized though, that's the thing. Like it was the same thing. It's like when I had a system in place for stuff, like I was just like killing it. So it kind of, you, I didn't know either. Cause I'm like, I'm doing awesome. <laughs> but, but right up until, you know, when you're doing like too much stuff and then things start to totally spiral out of control, you start feeling overwhelmed and you start avoiding things. And then like, yeah, it becomes a, uh, it becomes a whole thing. So we're hearing a lot of people talk about the transitions in life and how that plays such a role in yeah. when women's symptoms come out. For me, it was the transition from high school to college. I was kind of the same. Yeah. I, I wasn't top three, but I, you know, I was. I did pretty well for myself in high school. But that transition to college was brutal for me, and I couldn't figure out why. And so for you, it came later, which we do mm -hmm. hear. You know, there's a lot of women that get out of college and everything feels great, and then they get into their first job, and there's all of this expectation about who they are supposed to be. You grew up in a small town. Mm -hmm. I imagine that means a small graduating class from high school. Yeah. Then what was college like? Was it a big school? You know, like how did you pick your school? Yeah. Um, I actually, so I went to Grand Valley, Grand Valley State University. Go Lakers. Um, and it's, I mean, in, in Michigan, like pretty well-known, you know, school, liberal arts university, but it's not massive. It's not like, it's not like Michigan State where you go to class and you might be in a lecture hall of like hundreds of kids, you know? So, um, and what I studied too, like I studied business and like, I think I only really had one business class that like we were truly in a real lecture hall that was pretty big. And even then I think it was still less than a hundred. So if you were absent, you would have Like my missed. professor would know. Exactly. Like he'd be like, oh, Dre's not here. <laughs> like, um, but that accountability does matter. Yeah, yeah. And I think like if I was, I don't think I would have minded being in like a bigger school or even a smaller one like for that matter. But like I, I feel like that size was probably the right size for me because it was big enough where I didn't feel like I was under a microscope all the time. But it was like not so small that like, I don't know, it, it was a nice size for me. And how did you decide on business? Because I feel like a lot of people with ADHD go into college and they don't know what they want to do, so they kind of flounder around for a while. But it sounds yeah. like you came in knowing where you wanted to go. I had a double major. Go. Okay. Because um, originally I was only going to the School of Music. <laughs> um, but my parents are like, yeah, you need to, you need to do both. <laughs> so that's actually why I ended up in the business school because I was trying to think of what could I do that, like, is going to help me with things and that will make it easy for me to get a job and that's super universal, but like could potentially also help, you know, like my music career stuff too. So, yeah. So I'm going to backtrack because you mentioned music and to know that you want to study music in college means that you probably did music growing mm -hmm. up. So tell me about some of the activities that you did growing up because you're a great student and you knew you wanted to study music in college, which I imagine meant that you were pretty good at that as well. Yeah, I started playing music when I was like four. 
So I had been playing all the way through elementary, junior high, high school, college, and then really much later as a professional. But Piano? Um, yeah, so I started out actually playing piano. My mom plays piano. She's very good. She's better than I am. It's annoying. Um, and, but my main instrument in elementary, junior high, and high school is actually saxophone. Alto or tenor? Alto. Ah, alto tenor sax yep, or alto yep, sax yep. over here yep, too. Yep, yep. I was not good at it though. Yep. <laughs> and then I picked up violin in junior high because I wanted to be in symphony. Um, so that's, yeah. So I was in all of the bands. So actually now that I'm hearing myself talk, it may not have manifested itself in school, <laughs> but I feel like maybe it did in uh, my extracurricular activities because I had a lot of them. Right. <laughs> and your schedule was busy. So yes. like there was no time to go off the rails. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I actually, I just had this really great conversation <laughs> with, uh, a like mental health therapy <laughs> session so, right now. Oh. <laughs> I apologize. You can send me the copay later. No. Uh, I had this really great conversation with someone who worked in the military as a civilian, but with psychology. And they talked about, you know, like the military is so regimented, but there's a lot of downtime. And that's when the ADHD comes out. And yeah. for a lot of us, there was no downtime. Like I didn't yeah. have downtime growing up. I didn't, I didn't know what have that a was. Lot either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in, I mean, music probably took up at least half of my time. Then, like, I was also in dance. <laughs> so, like, I was in ballet, like, for a really long time. Um, I was in jazz dance for a while. I was in tap. I was in modern dance. I was in jewelry making. You name it. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm worried that people were reading, like, my diary because I was like, I was in dance. I played the alto sax. I did jewelry making. And, like, knowing Is that, like... Is this like, a millennial I, thing? It, it might be. <laughs> just create... I, I do think, too, with creatives, we want to do everything. Yeah. I just, like, I wanted... I loved making stuff. Like, I, like, I was huge into crafting as a kid. Like, needlepoint, making friendship bracelets. Like, that one thing with the little plastic things that you put the iron over that mm-hmm. would melt into shapes stuff I don't even know what it's called (laughs) but that thing too so all of that stuff like I just liked making things I interviewed my sister on episode two and she was like you were really into beads for a while and I was like gosh I forgot about beads beads, I loved beads did you ever make the flowers oh yeah oh yeah we'd have way too much fun together embroidering oh yeah my one grandma knew how to knit, so she taught me how to knit. My dad's mom was great at crocheting, so I knew how to crochet. The, <laughs> like, the do-it-yourself yeah. hair wrap. Oh, with, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with the, with the floss yarn. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> feeling very seen right yes, now. Yes. <laughs> at least we're in good company. So you go to college. What was college like for you? College was fine. I, like, also I was... Um, I was a little bit of an overachiever, so I finished really quick. Like, my undergrad, I was done by the time I was 19. So, <laughs> that happened. <laughs> I wasn't really, ex- like, it, it happened so quick that I remember going to, um, like, the one of my advisor's, like, offices, and she's like, you have enough credits to graduate. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, already? She's like, yeah, you have enough credits to graduate because I did dual enrollment and stuff in high school. Yeah, again, it adds up. Doing a lot, um, but yeah. So once I finished, then I was like, shoot, what am I gonna do? Uh, I was thinking about going to grad school, so I had already applied, but then I ended up getting a job. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'll just like kind of do both, you know, for a while and figure it out from here. Like, see what happens. So how old were you when you entered the workforce as like a postgraduate? Nineteen years old. 
couldn't oh even goodness. drink. I couldn't even go to happy hour. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I'm a part of me is like, I don't know how. Like, it seemed like just not that big of a deal. Honestly, I look back and it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But it's crazy now. <laughs> like everything I'm doing now is crazy. So, yeah. Okay, so let's let's go from like 19 <laughs> to 25 when your diagnosis. So you're working. You're a working individual. You're paying your bills on time. You're living independently. Like mm-hmm. everything is going as it should for an adult who is kind of left the nest and is doing their own thing. Yeah. So it was actually I shouldn't say it wasn't going awesome, but like when I started to feel it um, was so while I was working as a professional. <laughs> on the business side, I also had a whole other career, like on the music side. So like I had started to tour and it was fine because like I had, you know, whatever, like I work in tech. So most of the time I was working from home anyway, they all knew exactly what I was doing. So it wasn't really a big deal, but like it wasn't at all uncommon between like 2009 to like, I mean, probably up till now, even a little bit, but not nearly as much as before. Where, like, I would literally be on a tour bus and I would work during the day. And whenever we got to wherever we were going, like, which usually was around, like, 3.30, like, whenever we got to the venue is when I would stop working on that job. And then we'd eat food and shower, do sound check, and I would perform. And it would be this whole other thing. And then we'd be back on the bus by, like, midnight going to the next wherever we were going. So, like... I got so used to it, though, that it didn't seem like a big deal. And how often was this touring happening? Um, I probably went on at least, like, I mean, at least a couple a year. And then, but, like, there were fly-in shows, like, all in between there and festivals all summer long. And, yeah, you just, I don't know. When you want to do it, you just figure out how to make it happen. (laughs) I love that you say that because in my head I'm already going, I could not, there's no way if I were on a bus with people I enjoyed being around that I would work and not socialize. So, like, I don't know how you actually, like, got stuff done. You'd be surprised. Like, I think people I don't think think I would. (laughs) That it's, like, that it's, like, complete. It's really, it's way less party time on the bus than people think. Like, I think people think of, like, I don't know, like the Rolling Stones being on a tour bus and it's just crazy and there's like girls everywhere and drugs and stuff. And it's nothing like that really in real life. Usually the whole crew and all the artists are just like tired by the end of the night. So like everyone gets back on there. And yeah, like people will talk for a little bit or like if you're in like a major market for a show and you have a bunch of friends come, like then it's like more, you know, more stuff going on. But for the most part, it's actually pretty chill it's a job and I think people forget that like when you see it on tv it looks so like glamorous and crazy but like in real life it's our job and we know we have to get up and do it again the next day so like you're not really trying to go super hard every night right <laughs> so. well and I guess I don't even necessarily mean like the parting of it but yeah. like I know if I'm going to be on a set for a day, I I will tell myself best intentions, bring something to work on. And then, of course, when we're not rolling, instead of working on what I'm working on, I'm talking to the crew or just like, you know, like we're socializing. And so I applaud you for holding down a job while you're touring. That's (laughs) incredible. I am, in addition to having ADHD, like I'm definitely an introvert which I think that is probably why, again, another reason why no one would have ever noticed anything because, yeah, I'll talk, like, if I know you, you know, but, like, I'm not the person who's just going to 
I'm not the one working the room at like a networking thing. Like usually I show up with a plan for how to deal with the networking thing that I feel like is happening to me. <laughs> so, so it's just like, yeah, I feel like it's a little bit different. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I love that you can see that in yourself, that yeah. you know that that was why you were successful in a sense. Yeah. Like I, just cause I was quiet, like, and didn't want to be involved in some kind of stuff. So it worked for me. Okay. So I have to know, <laughs> as we're talking about this touring, what, what are you playing? Who are you touring with? What venues are you playing? Is there one that stands out that was just kind of like a pinch me moment? Honestly, I think the biggest like pinch me moment was playing at Paramount in Seattle. And it's because it's Paramount. Like that's where like Madonna did her like like a virgin tour, like where it kicked off. And it's like and plus it's Seattle. Like it's like a huge deal, you know, for stuff like that. But um there and then I think like probably Electric Forest, which is one of the biggest music festivals here in Michigan. And it's mostly just cause even though people from all over come, like it was for me every time I've played it, it's like it feels like hometown crowd to me. Like I look out and see literally all my friends. So it was just was kind of nice. It's like a little bit different than, you know, playing at like a bigger place somewhere where I don't live, which is equally as cool, but slightly different. Different. Yeah. Different. So when did you start hearing people talk about ADHD and the symptoms that came along with it and start kind of putting pieces together or start thinking about it a little bit differently? It was definitely in college, um, just because, like, I just remember people talking about it and, you know, staying up all night, doing all-nighters, working on homework and stuff, and people would talk about it. But I didn't really – honestly, I viewed it as a thing that other people have. (laughs) Like, Like, I didn't think that I had it. So I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I do great in school. Like, my grades are good. Um, You know, like, I felt like I was extremely focused, like, almost, like, the other, like, on the the other end of the spectrum. And I think that's probably what it was. It wasn't really until I started, like, reading, like, some books about it and stuff because of things that, like, friends had said. And then when I was reading about, like, how sometimes, like, it can present is it's not so much a hyper distracted it's a hyper focus and then I was like yeah that would definitely be me the only thing that was different with me is that it worked in my favor to be like that whereas like I could see how for some people if it manifests really differently it would not work in your favor at all until you figure it out so I was a good student but I was the good student who was finishing stuff up until the last minute what was your work process like for turning stuff in was it was it delayed procrastinated or were you good at kind of doing a little bit here and there I usually was I was not so like I I would say I never really procrastinated until college and even then it wasn't so much that I was procrastinating I just was overloaded and so therefore this gets done last minute kind of but not so much yeah not so much like procrastination I just wanted it to be perfect so whatever it was, like, I was like, oh, my God, I have made this masterpiece. Like, I just wanted it to be perfect. Like, I remember I had a, um, at a science fair. I think it was, like, second grade. And I was making this brain. <laughs> it was, like, this is a brain out of, like, uh, some clay. Like, we had found, like, a recipe for, like, this special clay, like, so I could make this replica of the human brain. And I locked myself in my room, second grade, locked myself in my room 
for like two days, like making this thing. And I remember I heard my dad come home from work and he was like, you know, where's Andrea? Like talking to my mom. And she was like, oh, I don't know. She's like, I think she's in her room. And my dad was like, oh, okay. So he came in, checks on me, goes back out, talking to my mom. He's like, yeah, she's doing her thing again, where she's going to drive herself crazy until whatever she's doing is perfect. <laughs> so let's just leave her alone. <laughs> so I'm like, I think back on that, and I'm like, yeah, it hasn't changed in a lot of ways. Like, I'm still kind of like that. Um, but yeah, so how do you know if something's wrong if everything's... Working out, yeah. What pushed you to call and ask to speak to somebody about it, about ADHD? It was when I felt like it was the first time, like, with music that I had, like, kind of started taking more control of, like, some of the business parts of it. And when, like, when I truly felt like I was stretched and, like, had to learn a bunch of new stuff and do this and do that and like and 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 there were just like a bunch of ands like that's when I was like whoa I feel like something is just like I just I felt overwhelmed in a way that I hadn't felt before right um and I was worried I was I just thought I was like oh maybe I just took on too much and like that was it but then when I thought about it, I was like, I don't really feel like it's that. I'm like, because I feel like I can do more. <laughs> but I'm like, if I do anything else, I'll just, you know, like everything will fall apart. And so like just hearing other people talk about it and like how they were about it and talking like to some of my like female friends who were talking about what it was like for them. And then when they told me that they had it and I was kind of like, really? I'm like, I thought you had it all together. <laughs> and then I started to realize, oh, this just is what it looks like in women. It looks like you have everything together until you just don't. Well, that's the thing that I find so interesting is because you were ahead of the curve on finding a provider who knew what to look for. Yeah. Because I even hear people all the time, you know, today, and it's 2022, women who go in and they're like, nope, it's not that. It can't be that. And it's like, but no, it, yeah. it looks different in everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would have known um, if it wasn't for talking to people and, like, hearing what their symptoms were like. And then when I started Googling more and more and more, I was like, I don't know, man. I think I might have it. <laughs> well, at least with Googling, it wasn't like you have brain cancer yeah. or, yeah. like, you know, you're dying. Because I feel like that's the other <laughs> rabbit hole you go down. It's just, like, much bigger picture. Do you remember a lot from that conversation that you had? I just remember the process. I mean, I I mean, I experience the process still. I remember just not wanting to be on any medication. That's like all I can. I was just like, I don't want that. Like, I want to figure out how to maybe manage it like naturally or whatever, which like I've done both. <laughs> like sometimes, yes, you can totally manage it naturally. I don't know about anyone else, but going through the pandemic, I was like, you know what? could use a little help. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know that I would have, yeah, that I would have changed anything or, or figured it out any differently if not just for, like, literally community and talking to people. So you're diagnosed. What were those first, like, couple days, couple weeks, couple months like I mean, as you realized how it was, you know, presenting in your yeah. life and you talked to people and – Oh, I thought I was like invincible. I was like, oh, okay, I have this thing, but I don't really feel like it's that big of a problem. But I'm glad I know about what it is now. 
So I'm just going to pretend like it's not a thing and it doesn't mean anything. So I actually did nothing about it other than get diagnosed for like kind of a long time. It just like until like probably like five years went by. And like then it really wasn't until like I decided foolishly to become a startup founder. (laughs) That like then is when stuff like really started to hit. And also that's when I started finding out just more about it. Because now I'm like in this community, this ecosystem of startup founders, and I'm hearing how many of them have it. And I'm just like, does this attract us all to the same space? (laughs) Yes. Or did we develop it, (laughs) you know, some kind of evolutionary adaptation just to deal with with what this is? So, yeah, I, I, yeah, until then, I don't think I probably wouldn't have, like, if I had just had one regular job. I probably wouldn't have really dealt with any Changed the what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to know, I hear from a lot of people, even just knowing what it was and having that knowledge played a big part in how you move forward. And do you feel that? Because you, you didn't, yeah. you say you didn't do anything for five years, but in a sense you were doing something because you had identified. I read, yes. yeah. So I was constantly, like, then I was reading about stuff to figure out, like, okay, well, Because I was like, well, how big of a deal is this? Like, does it really matter? And I'm like, well, what other people have it? You know, so I'm like Googling, seeing who else has it or whatever. And I was like, okay, so this isn't like, because, you know, growing up hearing about it made you feel like something was wrong with you, like if you had it. So I think I went through a phase of not wanting to know if I had it or not, but being pretty sure I probably did to then finding out I had it, but then being like, oh, well, I'm different. I can manage it naturally to just finally being broken all the way down and being like, okay, I need help. <laughs> and what so. did that call for help look like? Um, it looked like me first talking to my PCP who told me that I couldn't do anything really there anyway, like that they wouldn't, um, you know, feel qualified coming up like with a, di- a diagnosis for it in order to do anything. Like if I needed like any kind of medication, then they really weren't willing to do it. Um, so then I had to go down the rabbit hole of Googling and finding out like, okay, well, what kind of place can I even go to? Cause I've never dealt with this before. So that asking friends, like, where do I go? Every place has like six, seven, eight, nine months wait, year wait, year and a half wait, like to get in. And so I actually ended up finding a place in Lansing, which, you know, from here where we are today is like an hour, 15 minutes to go there. And anybody who has ever been on any kind of medication for ADHD, if it's a stimulant, you know what it's like having to go back and forth every 30 days, back and forth, like now I have to drive. So yeah, it it definitely was not the easiest process in the world. And like, I think of mine, I don't want to minimize my case, but I have some friends that have like much more extreme like cases. And I'm like, I don't know what it would be like to be dealing with that. And then someone tells you it takes a year for you to get into the doctor. And then, oh yeah, you also have to drive all the time until we stabilize you. Yep. And we don't know when that's going to be. I had a a similar situation in the sense that I was diagnosed by by my primary care provider with the help of a psychologist. And then there was no communication about like what the steps were going forward. So I was like diligent about what I needed to do from what they had told me. And then all of a sudden it was like, 
you know, three months in and they're like, oh, well, you haven't come in to do your checkup. And I was like, no one said anything about a checkup. And then I got so frustrated because it was like, I'm here doing what I need to do. And I know what I need to do because you told me this, but you didn't tell me, you know, and it just felt like such a mess. And then I felt like a failure. And then I got Mm -hmm. emotional and then I got angry. And it was so hard to move past that because I'm like, how, I'm going to do this every three months that we're going to play this like kind of game of chicken, like who's going to, and I'm like, that, it's so hard. It's terrible. It's, it's It's absolutely terrible. (laughs) And I wonder how many times in those scenarios it's people making those rules who don't know, like you mentioned, people who had it much worse than you. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think the, the comparison game is a dangerous one to yeah, go down, for is, sure. Yeah. But it's people making those rules who don't know what it's like to feel the anxiety and the panic of going, my prescription is out, and that is when I feel my best. Mm-hmm. And to then not know when it's coming. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like... You know, looking back to even the first time I went to the place, I didn't get, like, I didn't understand what the provider was actually telling me. Like, I didn't know the process of, like, every 30 days I have to come back. I just remember being like, why do I need to come back every month? I'm like, it's the same medication. Like, this is so dumb. (laughs) Like, no one actually explained it to me well and the reasons why that has to be a thing. I'm just like, oh, so I need to come like every 30 days so you guys can weigh me to make sure I haven't lost too much weight. And like, it just, I just like, they just didn't do a great job explaining any right. of that. I, I, and, and when you know the reasons why you get it, you're yeah. like, yes, people have ruined the system for the people who actually need yeah. it a thousand percent. And that's in every Totally in get it. It's- but when you are, when that is the only thing standing in between you and losing your mind, <laughs> Or your job. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just, like, it doesn't even matter. Like, you just don't even care. I had a really hard time explaining to some people in my life who don't have ADHD what the medicine did for me. And I finally, like, had this moment in therapy with, you know, recently where I was just like, I'm, I'm so frustrated trying to explain how much it matters to me. And she explained it. She said to me, she was like, if you had a broken leg and you didn't have crutches and you were just kind of, like, walking around, people would be like, oh, my gosh, let me get you a wheelchair. You need to look at the medication as your wheelchair. And I was like, well, that's it. And she was like, no, no, no. You're not playing the comparison (laughs) game. You are not going to diminish how this helps you. It helps you. And you need to stick to that. But it's so hard in that moment when you're around people who don't understand how defeating it feels. Yeah. And there's a stigma still. Like, honestly, I don't think I even told anybody that I actually have it until like this podcast. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, this tru- is it. like truthfully, like publicly, literally, it w- like publicly, it was Monday. Like I was on a I was on a panel discussion about like diversity in tech and stuff, and we were talking about different kinds of diversity. And so, like, I was like, it's it's super multifaceted, and I got brought up neurodiversity, and I was like, yeah, I'm like, I have ADHD. I was like, most people probably don't think I have it. But I do, you know, and because I think you just don't, you don't want people to think you have something wrong with you, but it's like you have to get over that mental hurdle that there's something wrong with you. Like, I don't, like now, I don't think that there's anything wrong with me. Like, I probably wouldn't be where I am now if I wasn't, (laughs) like if I didn't have ADHD, but it takes like, like fully understanding it 
understanding how it presents in other people, understanding like what other people have been able to accomplish while also having it. It's not like a, you know, it's not like something that's like a burden really or a weight. I mean, it can be, but like if you can get it under control, it's kind of great. <laughs> but if it gets out of control, it can be kind of rough. <laughs> so. I definitely feel that. I feel that from the sense of, I think my strengths with ADHD is feeling like the sky is the limit. Yeah. And then at the same time, one of the worst things for me with my ADHD is feeling like the sky is the limit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because I, I truly do feel like, I never think like, oh, I can't do that or anything like that. I'm always like, oh, yeah, I can definitely figure that out. <laughs> like, which makes me sometimes wonder, I don't know if everybody, I don't want to say everybody like who has it is like that, but I think it's. There's something about the way, like, thoughts just are, which, like, it feels like someone just threw a bunch of stuff in there. It's like a jumbled mess. But, like, I can sort through it all and, like, put it in categories because, like, I'm trying to make complicated things really simple. So, like, because of that, it's easy for me to kind of move around, like, between big ideas and stuff, which is great for working in tech. <laughs> like, but, like, I can see how if you don't understand it fully and, like, know that and know, like, how to make it work in your favor, like, why it would be just really difficult. Do you feel like ADHD has ever affected your relationships? Like, and I don't just mean with, like, a partner, but, like, friendships, your family? Because I, with a lot of women, it does present in this, like, insecurity and in where you are in life. There's, like, the rejection and all of that. So I'm curious, has that ever played a role for you? Um... Truthfully, I never really thought so until I read this article. <laughs> I was reading this article just about like things that can happen um, if you have ADHD, like in a relationship. And like I've thought about things that my now husband, we've been married for a few months now, um, like stuff that he said. And I was like, oh man, yeah, I guess I do kind of do that. Like, because he always says I interrupt him, like when he's talking. But I'm in my mind, I'm not interrupting. Usually I'm just like engaging kind of, in the conversation. Yeah, I'm like reaffirming what he said because I'm worried that I will be off somewhere else if I don't do that. And so the way that he thought he was looking at it is like she's interrupting me. And I'm like, no, I'm actively involved in the conversation. This is how I'm staying like with you on the right pathway. But when I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I guess I should that more <laughs> but the other problem to that is if you don't interrupt then they stop talking and you're expected to engage and you're like i what? i'm lost i don't know where <laughs> like, i'm at I, what was i saying what were you saying you where say? were we what room are we in why are we here yes yeah so what workarounds do you see that you have put into your life and it doesn't have to be since your diagnosis but knowing that you've had adhd your entire life where do you see kind of these like little like patchworks that you've you've formed together to make this work routines 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 like routines work for me I don't know if they work for everyone but for me they work and like it doesn't matter how much stuff like I have going on as long as like I have a routine and can kind of keep stuff like kind of compartmentalized and organized I'm usually good to go um that and like working out is huge for me like it helps just like kind of burn off excess energy and it's like the one time where I because I run in cycle and stuff and so um those are like the times where I can just do that and there's no one talking to me trying to like get me to do stuff like so it truly is like my time to kind of just think and like I'm doing an activity while I'm thinking so 
those same like things when you're sitting, which might be like, you know, the nervous leg movements and like, you know, needing to use a fidget spinner, like stuff like that. I don't need that when I'm working out and like, I'll literally be tired like when I'm done. So it like, that works for me. What do you do to relax? Um, I have a hard time relaxing. <laughs> God, I knew I was like throwing that at on. you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I do like, I try to meditate. I'm not great at it. It's something I'm really working on because I know I need it. But just like imagine an ADHD person trying to meditate. Like I truthfully, <laughs> what I would love to find is like a guided meditation class in person. Like, that, I think, would probably work the best for me. Like, I have a couple apps, and it's better than nothing. But, um, yeah, in-person would would be great. It just is hard for me to, like, I don't know, just, like, calm down like Stay on the path. (laughs) I also think, too, with the in-person, for someone who has ADHD and has a hard time staying on task, even if it's meditation, in-person adds the accountability and the body doubling. Yep, 100%. Like, me in-person at the gym – um, although now through, through working through COVID and stuff and like all of that and like working out at home, I'm in a good routine with it now. But prior to that, I would have never been like, yeah, I work out the best at home. Like, no, I always work out better at the gym in front of people with some extra added social pressure. I will run the extra mile. I will lift the extra five reps. I will do all those things if I think somebody is looking, even though they're not like, but I can play mind games with myself about it. But yeah, at home is a little different but now I've gotten in a good routine of it at home what do you take away from the pandemic and kind of how it forced a lot of us who have neurodiversity to adjust our lives or even see that something's going on yeah I mean I (laughs) it was a rough time that's all I can say and truthfully though at first it wasn't like it really wasn't until I would say like the first like couple months were great, like awesome. It wasn't until like, it was like pandemic hit in March, then like everything in the world is going crazy by June. And then, and like work exploded because now we're working at home. And so instead of it being like normal 40-ish hours, it suddenly became 60. And I'm in my condo by myself all the time, all day, every single day, barely leaving, getting groceries delivered. And like, after a while I was like, okay, I think I might feel crazy now. (laughs) Like there was a moment I was in my basement working and I like, I started getting like shortness of breath and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I think I just had a small like panic attack, which was something I had never experienced in my life. Um, But I think it was just the it just was everything that was happening. Like it was just so much to be thinking about and constantly bombarded by stuff and bad news. Like every five minutes, it just seemed like, and I think that's like when it hit and I was like, okay, I can't manage this naturally anymore. (laughs) Like throw the flag. (laughs) Like now I need help and trying to find help in the middle of a pandemic was very, very difficult. But kudos for you for sticking with it because <laughs> yeah. it's apparent that it it helped. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, 
like my heart goes out to anyone whether you are neurodiverse or not like going through the pandemic if you if you didn't have anything wrong with you mentally i'm sure you do now <laughs> like just because just the sheer amount of the way things changed so quickly and like we all had to adapt like literally everything changed like work changed like relationships with people how you talk to them like change grocery shopping change <laughs> like literally restaurants change like everything changed at once and so i think like doing that while also still trying to keep the routine like it's virtually impossible because there's just too much variability happening and that for me variability is like it's not that fun <laughs> you're kind of the prime example of reminding people that the only person that can truly advocate for you is yourself yeah yeah, 100%. I think especially with something like this, because it presents so differently in so many different people. So like, you can't really be like, oh, well, I like their cases, you know, either worse than mine or better than or easier to deal with. Like, you don't know. And like, that can change throughout the week. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you might be dealing with it awesome on Monday. And by Friday, like, you might be falling apart. So All right, sounds like a good time to be bringing up the outro music i'm gonna just get that started yep oh there there it comes okay i'm gonna give you here the last little out to provide whatever little context or little nugget of inspiration or just however you would like to wrap up this conversation about adhd this is your little i'm not asking you anything you just (laughs) whatever you want right into the mic yeah i mean i think just I would just say, like, don't feel like there's something wrong with you. Like, I think that's where I went wrong (laughs) was, like, feeling like it was something that, like, happened to me. I was very much, like, love to be in control about stuff. And so feeling like there was this thing now that I have that's like a dun-dun-dun mental disorder, you know, like it just made me feel like something was wrong with me and I, you shouldn't look at it like that. To be honest, it's, I, I don't know if it's an evolutionary adaptation or not, but 100% just the sheer amount of stuff that is coming at us like in this time like that we're living in. I gotta imagine, I feel like I'm dealing with some stuff maybe better than people who don't have it in some ways because I've gotten accustomed to making super complex things really simple and putting them in categories and dealing with them that way. So I, yeah, I just, there's nothing wrong with you if you have it. Also, if you don't have it, great, you know, too, whatever. Like it's, that's why we call it neurodiversity because it's fine if everyone's different, but if you happen to have it, it's okay just go get diagnosed and figure out some tools to deal with it. Thank you for that. That the whole conversation. Truly. Thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Refocus with Lindsay Gensel is a collaboration between me, Lindsay Gensel and ADHD online, a telemedicine healthcare leader offering affordable and accessible ADHD assessments, medication management, and teletherapy. You can find out more by visiting ADHDonline.com. The show's music was created by Louis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based out of Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. A huge thank you to Andrea Wallace, also known as Dre, for sharing such a wonderful glimpse into her life. You can follow her on Instagram at superdrizzy. I also have it linked in the show notes. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening now. And join us next week for another episode of Free Focus with Lindsay Gensel. Mm-hmm.